Greetings, Team Ajulam. Karibuni sana tena. We are still on the Kingdom series, which, by the way, has been the most impactful for me personally. I've really enjoyed teaching this series, and I hope you guys are enjoying watching it. Uh, so today, again, we are still in Matthew 13, okay? Uh, like I told you in the very beginning, this Kingdom series is not just a Kingdom series, it's also an exposition on the book of Matthew. So meaning that we'll be looking at a lot of stuff in the book of Matthew, um, and a lot of reference will be made to the book of Matthew. However, we're still in Matthew 13. Sour. Now, today we're going to be looking at the parable where Jesus, again, another parable, where he teaches on the kingdom. Okay? Remember, this is the kingdom series, right? Now, this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Okay? The wheat and the tares. For some of the Bible versions, it says the wheat and the weeds. Okay? This is that parable. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew 13 from verse 24 to 30. To 30. And then also look at how Jesus explains this parable in the same Matthew 13 from verse 36 to 43. Sour? So let's read it. Eh? Uh, start from verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then now let's jump to verse 36 to 43, where Jesus explains this parable. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the, is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now, before we get into this, it's very important for us to be able to distinguish or to at least be able to understand this parable from a very literal sense in terms of the wheat and the tares, okay? Now, the relationship especially between the wheat and the tares, okay? So work with me. Now, the thing is, is that this tear stroke weed is a plant that commonly grows in fields of grain, okay? This is something that is in a literal sense what happens right and the thing is is that the thing about the tear is that it looks very very similar it looks very very similar to edible grain okay but the thing is that the tear is not suitable for food but it looks just like the wheat and the only time you're able to tell the difference between the tear and the wheat is during the time of harvest right where one 
flowers in a certain way and the other one doesn't okay now this is what in fact they say that in this specific parable that it's being referred to here this tear that's being referred to here is called a darnel which is a poisonous weed okay but it's very similar in appearance to wheat but it's poisonous but it looks just like wheat ha so now these tears well they grow together right together with the wheat it's very difficult to distinguish between which one is the wheat and which one is the tear it's very difficult to distinguish because they look very similar okay and this is so deeply profound right this parable by Jesus Christ is so deeply profound on account of this, all right? Jesus is teaching us a very valuable lesson here, a very valuable lesson. So you got to work with me on this. You got to work with me on this, okay? Now, we see in the explanation that Jesus gives in regards to this parable that Jesus, is in the world that he has created, he, there he goes and he shows us that there are two types of individuals, okay? There are those who are the children of the kingdom, then there are those who are the children of the enemy, the devil, okay? Light and darkness. There's no at a gray area, middle ground here. It is the children of the kingdom and the children of the wicked one, okay? And the thing that is so interesting about this parable is where he speaks and he gives this comparison that the thing that is most telling about the tares and the wheat and the thing that is most interesting about these, the tear and the wheat is how eerily similar they look until the fruit time of fruitfulness okay the time of fruitfulness is the thing that separates the two but when you look at them as they are growing they look very similar okay look very similar whoo my friends let me tell you something i've mentioned this before and uh, if you go back to um, previous uh, messages on the kingdom where we talk about specifically in regards to how the enemy has a counter kingdom. Do you guys remember when you talked about that? The fact that there's a counter kingdom that the enemy has, right? That as we look at God's kingdom, there's also the kingdom of the enemy. And the thing that is so clear, and the thing that is revealed to us throughout the scriptures, is that this kingdom and the kingdom of the enemy is driven by deception. If you look at this parable, the tares and the wheat, they look the same. The enemy comes and he plants weeds that look just like the wheat. Because the enemy's kingdom is about deception. Deception, okay? This has been the thing about this guy from the very beginning. His plan forever has been about deception. In fact, Jesus refers to him as the father of lies. And he says that when he lies, he's not acting outside of his nature. Right? That he is the deceiver of the world. And he's not acting out of his nature. Okay? Whoo! This guy is the father of lies. And so, the things that you see throughout the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, I mean, when we're talking about, I mean, from the time Jesus all the way Look at Peter, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of, 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 of uh, Peter, all throughout, like even Paul, every single one of them. One of the things that they continue to implore and they continue to speak about is warnings and continue to give warnings about deception, which comes through false teaching and false teachers. 
We see this in all of Paul's letters. We see this through and through in John's letters, in Peter's letters. Why? Because the enemy is deceptive. And he never comes in the appearance of something detestable. He never comes the way we, you know how we see all these images of the enemy with the, the horns, yeah? the tumahons, yeah? that he comes to us and you're like, oh my gosh, that's the devil. <laughs> never. His MO has always been about deception. In Matthew 7 from verse 15 to 16, it says, Beware of, false, of the false prophets, this is Jesus speaking, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Paul says to the church in Corinth, For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. My friend, Satan is a deceiver. He deceives through false teaching that are delivered in very many different ways. Delivered through religion, through uh, different ideologies, philosophies, economic structures. He is the deceiver of the world. The deceiver of the world. And so this parable, he plants weeds that look like wheat. Right? Things that look like the kingdom and appear harmless. But like the tear, it is poisonous. It appears harmless. But like the tear, it is poisonous. And most times for us is that we are looking for open signs of enemies' deception. But we don't realize that his deception is slick. Because he's the deceiver of the world. Now the thing is, I want us to do today. I want us to look at four ways in which the, enemies, the enemy deceives us. By looking at how he tempted Jesus Christ in Matthew. In Matthew 4, I think it's important for us to highlight this because in this parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus points us to an enemy who sows as well. And he sows tares that look similar to the wheat. Are we together? Right? And so we need to be equipped to be able to understand these two deceptive strategies that he uses. Man, this thing was so powerful. Whew. Anyway, let me just get into it. Okay? So now... Again, we're looking at Matthew 4. Like I told you, this is an exposition on Matthew as well. So we're going to be looking at the temptation of Jesus Christ. To be able to look at this interaction between the enemy and how he deceives. And to look at this and see that this is literally a symbol and a representation of how he looks to deceive us. In the same way that we see how he looked to deceive Jesus Christ. Right? That for us who believe in God. And for us who, be, who have put our faith in Christ, what does it look like when the enemy comes to deceive us? Okay? Now, let's look at Matthew 4 from verse 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him along 
into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you. And on their hands they will lift you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him along to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and shall serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to serve him. There are four things that I want us to take out of these temptations about the enemy and his deception tactics. And the first thing is this. The first thing that I want us to uh, point out and to recognize from this um, in terms of what the enemy does is that the enemy, first and foremost, will come for your identity. His goal is to cause you to question your identity always. Because it is in your identity. In your identity, therein lies the power that Christ has given you because you have put your faith in him. Notice how these temptations begin. If you are the son of God, go and do this. If you are the son of God, right? The thing is this, right before the wilderness experience happened, right before the wilderness experience happened, is that Jesus had been baptized. This is now in the previous chapter, chapter 3. Jesus has been baptized. This is in the beginning of his ministry, and really baptism is, is, is symbolic for repentance. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the, 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 the act of, 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 of baptism is, is, is the repentance, where Jesus comes and he tells John, we must do this, because John is like, why are you being baptized? You don't need to repent. But he's like, let us fulfill all righteousness, right? Meaning that, as the son, he goes and he does this baptism to be able to represent repentance, right? And when he comes out of the water, it says that the spirit comes in upon him. And a voice from heaven comes and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son whom I love in whom I am well pleased, right? So the affirmation of his father comes to Jesus Christ. The affirmation of his father. This is literally the previous chapter. And as soon as the guy gears the wilderness, he's led into the wilderness. It says here, he's led into the wilderness by the spirit. And as soon as he gets into the wilderness, after 40 days, when he is at his most vulnerable, what happens? That the enemy comes and he's like, if you are the son of God. My friends, the reality is this. Is that the enemy is going to come after your identity. He is going to come and challenge your identity. This is true for Jesus Christ. It is true for us as well. The enemy will come to challenge your identity. If you are the son of God, if you are the daughter of God, then why is God taking you through this? If you are the child of God, if you are the son and daughter of God, why did this happen to you? If you're the child of God, why are you still struggling with this? If you're the child of God, why hasn't what you have prayed for happened? The enemy consistently and his part of his deceptive strategy is to constantly come 
after your identity, to cause you to question your identity, that the thing that he does not want you to recognize is that when you repented and when you turned your life to Christ, that you received a new identity, that you were adopted into God's family, and it says that you have become his child, that he has adopted you into his family, that now he has given you his Holy Spirit as a confirmation of that promise where you are able now to cry out to him, Abba, Father. And so this new identity is the thing that gives you power, that gives you position, that gives you authority, and that gives you full identity as belonging to Christ. And the thing that the enemy does is that he will come for that very thing to cause you to question who you are at every single time. That when you fall or when you make a mistake, ah, if you're the son of God, if you're the daughter of God, how could you do that? Hey, <laughs> my friends, this is where your power lies. It is in your new identity as God's child. This is where your power lies. This is the, God, this is the, this is the anchor that God has introduced you and accepted you into his family and the process of transformation has begun that he has given you his Holy Spirit that through faith in Christ you have been adopted into his family and he has given you his spirit and you have a new identity that it says that all things have become new that all the things before are now gone and this is what the enemy wants to come for if you're a child of God then he wants you to doubt your identity that's what he wants you to do. And you will see this and you will experience this. And you must know this, child of God. That your identity is sealed. That when you put your faith in Christ, your identity is sealed in him. And that he has given you his glorious spirit that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And that every single time that the enemy comes to, to, to challenge our identity, that we can affirm within ourselves that we belong to God. That we belong to God. Amen? Amen. God will never leave you nor forsake you. He's promised to you is that. Now, that's the one thing. He'll come for your identity, okay? If, and when you hear those words, just know it's not coming from above. It's coming from the enemy. The second thing is this. What you recognize from this story is that oftentimes, the enemy will come for you when you're at your weakest. In this first temptation, he comes to Jesus and tells him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Right? Now remember, this chapter begins with, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness. He did not, uh, he was led into the wilderness. Jesus was led into the wilderness. This was not a mistake. He was led into the wilderness and after 40 days of fasting, after 40 days of fasting, he becomes hungry. And notice, the enemy doesn't come during the time, during those 40 days. He comes at the time. After 40 days, when it says here, he became hungry. Then he comes to him up on Wishaw because he's hungry. And it says at this point, he comes in with a temptation that's extremely relevant to the needs that he has at that very moment. Right? And it says here, yeah, he comes to him and he says to him, so you turn these stones into bread. Jesus you're hungry. <laughs> it's been 40 days, bro. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? 
And notice how Jesus responds. Jesus responds to him and says that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now it's important to see just real quickly where this scripture comes from. This scripture comes from Deuteronomy 8, where it reads, All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, so that you may live and increase and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, in order to humble you, putting you to the test to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you go hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order to make you understand that man shall not live on bread alone, but man shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did you your foot swelled these 40 years. So you are, no, you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of streams of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, in which you will not lack anything. The thing that is so interesting is this, is that we see at the very end of the temptation that the angels come and provide for Jesus. That God's provision comes to him. And so at this very moment when Jesus is at his weakest, when he's so hungry, that that's when the enemy comes and he says, so you turn these stones into bread. So you turn these stones into bread, right? But the thing that you realize in this context of how Jesus responds is that, remember, that even with the children of Israel, that the children of Israel did not end up in the wilderness by mistake, that it was the Lord who led them into the wilderness. He intentionally caused them to experience lack so that they would begin to see miraculous provision and realize that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, that provision literally comes from above. And so what he wanted to show them, even in the wilderness, is that I am your provider. I am your provider, that before you get into the land of promise, that before you get into the place of plenty, I want you to know that I am your provider. I am the one who cares for you. I am the one who watches over you. Hey, in your life, I am your provider. Now, remember what I told you in episode four, where it says that God disciplines us in his love. He does this for every son and daughter whom he approves. And so the thing to recognize is this, that even with Jesus Christ, he is literally led into the wilderness. He is led into the wilderness to be tested. And so the enemy comes and he says, Hey man, my guy, so you turn these stones into bread. My friends, this thing hit me so hard. (laughs) This thing hit me so hard because when I was preparing this, I, I... I began to see even for myself the places in which I had failed in this very thing. I was tested in this myself and I failed. Um, You know, for me, one of the things is that this season has been a very difficult season, as it has been for very many people. For me, personally, it has been a very difficult season, especially financially. 
and so you know in this financial season where i was you know where business has ground to a halt and it's been it's been tough it's been difficult and to be able to come to a place <laughs> where i was praying for a breakthrough in a certain situation i needed a financial breakthrough and so what happened is this is that as i was praying for this breakthrough um a certain opportunity opened up now the thing about this opportunity when it opened up it was it had all the elements of an opportunity because one i had been praying for a breakthrough and then this thing comes but the thing that was the challenge for me is that it was kidogo dodgy <laughs> it's a bit dodgy right and i remember just thinking to myself <laughs> i even remember ah, i remember like praying about it just being like lord <laughs> is this you <laughs> and so for me i was just like i mean as if I tried to just try to some scripture, you know, I mean, you know, remember there's a time Abraham lied, eh, and just, you know, focus, save Sarah, <laughs> right? So I'm here finding all these scriptures to help me find a way to validate why this dodgy situation is a breakthrough. My friends, when I was preparing this, I realized, oh my goodness, this was me turning, trying to turn stones into bread. That in my weakest moment, at a time where clearly I needed the money. Here comes this dodgy situation that would cause me to compromise myself. But in my mind, I'm like, I wonder if this is a breakthrough. <laughs> hey! Safe to say, my friends, I had to repent. Mimi, Mimi, Mimi Nilianguka. I stumbled and fell. I, I, I went and I tried to turn these stones into bread. Um, and even, you know, try to pray about it to get clarity when I, I, now when I think back on it, I realize that this was not the right thing to do. And so the thing is, to th is this, right, is that um, God will take you like he does with all his children through our wilderness. And there will be, especially in those places where the enemy will come to cause you to compromise your values especially in the wilderness and especially at the time when you're at your weakest just like jesus christ after 40 days when he was hungry the enemy comes and tells him turn these stones into bread turn these stones into bread it's the same thing that is going to happen for us happen to me it'll happen to you and so my imploration to you is don't be like me be like jesus right and recognize that god is your provider God is your provider. So we don't need to be able to try and figure out how we can turn compromising situations into God's blessing. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. So trust in your provider even in the face of temptation to compromise. Amen? Which leads me to my third point. Remember, he's coming for your identity. He'll come for you at your weakest. Now, my third point is this. In the second temptation here is one that is especially, especially slick. This is the one that you just begin to see just how deceptive the enemy is, right? The enemy literally uses scripture to try and deceive Jesus. This one started off again with, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Then he goes on to quote scripture out of context to cause Jesus to do something for absolutely no reason other than for him to go and stand, for him to prove something that he didn't need to prove. It's the same thing that the Pharisees came to Jesus to ask, show us a sign, 
Show us a sign that you're the Messiah. Prove to us that you're the Messiah. Jesus did not come to prove that he's the Messiah. He came to reveal that he's the Messiah. Not to prove anything. So he's just like, yo, Jesus, jump off the cliff, bro. Yeah? Show us. Stand. Show us, my guy. So the angels will come and rescue you. That's what it says in the scriptures. Right? And here's the thing. He's that the enemy is coming to tempt Jesus to, to, to use his authority and, the power, and his power to come and stand, to come and floss, to use his power and authority to show off. He wanted him to move away from the intended purpose of the power and authority that he had. And the intended purpose of this power and authority was to fulfill the purpose of his kingdom, not to stand. It was to fulfill the purpose of that which he was sent. He came here as one who was sent. There was no place here where Jesus, where the father came and asked him to jump off a cliff. This is not what the miracles were about for him to come and stand. This was a mission-driven purpose that he was sent, that Jesus came on a mission to save the world. He healed the sick because he had compassion on them and wanted to bring glory to his father by fulfilling the works that he was sent to do. But in all this, I think for me, the thing that is most insightful, that outside of, and I'm sure there's many ways we can unpack the whole thing of the actual temptation of Jesus being asked to go and be prideful and, and, and attempt to use his power for things that were for the cause of vanity, to be able to show the guys there, look at the angels ushering me to the ground. But I think the thing that is so insightful here in line with what it is that we're talking about, is that literally the devil comes as an angel of light to deceive. The enemy came with scripture. Hey! Whoa! Hey! How many times has scripture been used to justify pride? To justify condemnation of those that Jesus has called us to reach out to? How many times has scripture been used to shame and shun away those Jesus died for? How many times has scripture been used to justify lawlessness, greed, and envy? Think about even just the time where I was using just the previous example, trying to justify something that was dodgy and I'm here like, hmm, is that scripture, <laughs> right? That literally, how many times has scripture been used to bring ungodly division? Not only that, how many times has scripture been used where people come and as soon as they, 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 they say, I unajua even kwa biblia inasema, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, must be a man of God. <laughs> My friend, even the enemy uses scripture. He has used it to infiltrate the church with evil men who come with very nice scriptures so that they can blind us to their lawlessness. There are many believers, including myself, who have been swayed by someone just because they can narrate some scripture. And we forget what it says in the scripture, that a little false teaching is like yeast that spreads through a whole batch of dough. We see this all the time. We see this, we see this even here in, in our country with politicians who come and use scripture. To validate BBI things, 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 their own agendas, but not the agendas of the kingdom and the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, my friends. Even the devil uses scripture to deceive. Can you? Why? <laughs> Let me tell you, my friends, there are so many. You know, there's one story that um, just to, that, that's so interesting. 
in in Matthew um, in Matthew 16, it's so interesting how in this story we see how Jesus comes and he's talking to his disciples and he says to them, "Who men say that I am?" And they say, "Oh, you know, you're a prophet, you're a teacher, whatever." And then Peter comes and he says to him, "Ah, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus says to him, "Blessed are you, Simon, Peter." Blessed are you, Peter. Yeah, you are now going to be the rock. He literally comes and says, This has been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And he comes and he praises Peter. He says, Man, blessed are you. My friends, literally, literally the next verse is where Jesus begins to speak. <laughs> After he's told Peter all these things, the next verse. Jesus begins to, to talk to, to, Peter, to, to his disciples about how he's about to go and be. Uh, suffer and die and Peter comes and says to him never may that never happen and Jesus says to Peter get thee behind me Satan and you know the thing is you look at that thing and you're just like hold on wait, wait one second just now over here <laughs> you are just saying that this guy is blessed <laughs> blessed is he and then now all of a sudden you're rebuking you're rebuking Satan <laughs> for something that Peter has said and to recognize that even those who are closest to us, sometimes the things that they say may not come from the heart of God. Sometimes to realize that those who are closest to us, that the enemy is possible for the enemy to be able to come and deceive us from those who are closest to us. My friends, when we begin to recognize that the deception of the enemy is so slick that he comes and he even uses scripture to come and to deceive us, that thing is very profound. And so here is the thing, is that the great thing that we have and the great thing that we have against false teaching is that we can always be on our guard because we have the Holy Spirit who is able to give us discernment and his purpose is to lead us into all truth. That when we ask for discernment, he gives it to us. And it's interesting, if you look, this is how Jesus responds. He says, but it is also written that he refers to scripture. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. That the thing that's so beautiful that when we pray for discernment, that oftentimes what the Holy Spirit will do is that he will cause us and he will cause us to, to, to begin to start uh, loving his scripture and loving his word. That when we begin to start make it a life habit to pray for discernment in all things and in every way, that in every single time that we are always in a place where we constantly seek out discernment from God, that when we do that, that the Holy Spirit guides us, that he leads us. Remember, I always tell you, if you struggle with reading scripture, please pray about this. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you this desire. This is the reason why he is there. He's there to help you. That's why he's the helper. He's there to help you. But the thing is also, he's there to give us discernment. This is a gift from, his Holy, from, from God. This is the gift from the Holy Spirit, is to give us discernment so that we would not fall to the whims of all this slick discernment that the enemy uses. He can use people that we see from Matthew 16, people that are close to you, or even sometimes people who you look at and they're literally quoting scripture, but the thing is intended to deceive you. That discernment comes from his Holy Spirit. It comes from his Holy Spirit. And so we pray that his Holy Spirit would give us the discernment to discern 
that which is of him and that which is not of him. Amen? So pray for discernment always. Always pray for discernment. Sour. Because the enemy is slick. Lastly, in the final temptation it says that the devil took him along to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. You know, one of the most profound things that my dad told me when I was younger is that I need to live my life with eternity in mind. One of the greatest deceptions of the enemy, one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy is that he fuels us with the notion that this world is everything. He deceives us into believing that our purpose is merely within the context of this world and its glorious promises. Right? This is why so much of what we are trained to envy exists within the realm of this world. We are literally trained to envy these things. And so we spend our lives pursuing an earthly purpose with no eternal significance. <laughs> the Lord Jesus came from a glory of a kingdom that is not of this world. The enemy sought to lure him into a glory that was significantly less than the glory that comes from above. A glory that is given by men and not by God. That's what you wanted to lure him to. A glory that is given by men. Accolades that are given by men. Greatness that is given by men and not by God. A glory given by this world and not a glory given by God. He deceives us into the pursuit of earthly glory, which unfortunately has an expiry date. The kingdoms of this world will come to an end. This is the promise. And this is in a very literal sense. I mean, there's that sense in terms of like, in a literal sense and an eschatological sense. In a sense, a literal sense, the kingdom of this world will come to an end for you, meaning that you will die. And also, literally, the kingdoms of this world will come to an end. Right? You're not going to live forever in this earth. Right? And so, the enemy deceives us into believing and into a pursuit of things that have no eternal significance. For us who belong to Christ, it says in the parable that we just read, that we will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Jesus told his disciples that he is going to prepare a place for them, so that where he is, they will be also. We see this right now. The kingdoms of this world and their glory pale in comparison to what God has in store for us, where it says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That God has eternal significance for us, eternal purpose, eternal life. And the thing that is so interesting is this, is that when we even look at the patriarchs of faith, if you go to Hebrews 11 and you look at the patriarchs of faith, where it says that all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. 
And indeed, if they had been thinking of, the, of that country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. But, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Hebrews 11 is the, is the, is, is, is the chapter of faith. That this is the faith, the thing that we believe. That God is calling us to an eternal significance. But the enemy deceives us into a worldly significance. Into the kingdoms of this world. Things that will pass away. Hey. All these great men of faith did great exploits on this earth. But they were looking forward. They were looking forward. And they worshipped God in anticipation of this great promise of eternal significance, of eternal value. What am I saying to you today? What I'm saying to you is this, is that the deceiver of this world wants you to believe that this world is all that there is to everything. That is what he wants us to believe. That our goal is to pursue worldly pleasures and happiness rather than eternal purpose. That we imagine that the goals of our lives is to be happy and rich and have everything that we desire. That it is our life's mission to build our own legacies and fulfill some greatly earthly mission, some great earthly mission developed by us. Jesus' response to this proposition by the devil is that forget your earthly kingdom and your earthly glory because it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The mission he had was eternal and not temporal. This is the purpose of anyone's life, to worship God and to serve him only. We worship God and we serve him only. This is the reward. Something that no eye has seen, no ear has had, no mind has conceived, and that this world pales in comparison to what God has prepared for us in Christ Jesus. The significance of this world pales in comparison. My friend, let me tell you something. You know, I remember for a very long time, I remember this was probably back in 2010 where God revealed to me and he said to me that my purpose for you is that I want you to inspire men towards faith in Christ Jesus. And he revealed to me during that period, this was a time when I was at my lowest point in life, broke, I was living, I was living on, sleeping on the floor of my sister's house, just completely, anyway, long story. The point is this, at that point in time, God began to give me, and he gave me an eternal purpose, something that was an eternal purpose. And he told me, Thima, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to make you successful, but I want you to know that the purpose of the success is to elevate the mission that I've given you, which is to inspire people towards faith in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what happened. I was like, this is amazing. Oh, what a great purpose. Thank you, Father, for all this. And as I continued to go along, I forgot. And what happened is, is that all of a sudden, somewhere in between, the mission became about, I want to build this billion dollar company, you know, just tech, tech, tech business. I want your Mark Zuckerberg. You know, I look at Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg of Africa. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates. Yeah, Bill Gates. Yeah? Steve Jobs, you know, Steve Jobs, all these people. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to build this billion dollar company. It's going to be great for Africa. Africa, rise. <laughs> hey. And the thing is, is that I began to pursue this mission, having forgotten that the mission was not 
This, this, this was not the mission. This was the signs and wonders. I was pursuing the signs and wonders instead of pursuing the mission. The mission was to inspire people to faith in Christ Jesus. And that God wanted to use all these different gifts and talents that he had given me to elevate that, to pursue that mission, to pursue that purpose. And so the thing is this, is that the enemy comes and he begins to put into us and give us all these earthly missions, earthly purposes that have an end. Things that have no eternal significance. So what? I die and we've built a billion dollar company. Who cares? The glory of men, they'll come and they'll clap for me and say, what a great man. Hey. But no eternal significance to this. And so literally later, God reminded me of this mission. This is part of the reason why I'm here today speaking to you. Because it is my life's purpose to inspire men and women to faith in Christ Jesus. My friends, what am I saying to you? Is that the enemy will come and give you all these things that make you feel, eh? Your purpose, your mission, your mission, and give you all these earthly goals with no eternal significance. It is the purpose of every single person to worship God and to serve Him only. The work that we do here, Wamai with his gifts and talents in being able to record CK with her gifts and talents being able to produce that the purpose and the thing that is being done here is in worship and using our talents and gifts to worship God and to serve Him only. The things that we do here serve an eternal purpose. Serve an eternal purpose. And this is what God is calling us to do. That we use our gifts and talents to worship God and to serve Him only. That everything that he's giving us is for eternal significance. That he is seeking to use us to reconcile men and women back to him. To bring, to bring glory to his kingdom. It is the purpose of our lives to worship God and to serve him only. And the purpose of all these gifts and talents that he has given us is to do just that. Do not be deceived by the enemy to pursue earthly goals with no eternal significance. <sighs> Hallelujah. And so I pray that you participate in God's mission that has eternal significance for your life. That you use your gifts and talents to worship God and to serve Him only. Not some earthly goal, some earthly purpose that has no eternal significance. God is calling us to use our gifts and talents for him and to worship him and to extend the message of his kingdom. Amen. This is the message I have for you guys today and I just want to pray with you um, even as we close. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for this word that you have given to us today. Father, this word inspired my life so much, and I'm so grateful for Christ Jesus. For the areas in which 
we continue to fall and fall short the places in which we have succumbed to the deception of the enemy times in which we have questioned our identity times in which we have um, prematurely tried to turn stones into bread times in which we have used our calling and the power and the authority and the things and the blessing to be able to be prideful where we have used scripture to justify lawlessness times in which we have focused so deeply on building earthly kingdoms with no eternal significance where we have pursued earthly goals with no eternal significance father forgive us we come before you knowing that the great gift that you have given us in Christ Jesus allows us allows us to be able to receive redemption and to be able to receive renewed purpose, renewed vision. Father, I pray for each and every single person for whom this word has touched, that you, O oh Father, would fill them with your spirit, that you would be able to affirm in them by the power of your spirit their identity, that they will not waver in their identity that you would affirm through the power of your Holy Spirit that they would endure even in difficult moments, even when they are at their weakest, that they would be strong. That you, O King of Heaven, that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give them discernment to know when things are not right and that when they are being deceived, that you would give them the discernment to be able to know Father, and I pray in Jesus' holy name that most importantly, that you would fill them with eternal significance, that you would cause them by the power of your Holy Spirit to use their gifts and talents for the glory of your kingdom, to use their gifts and talents to worship you and to serve you only. Father, I pray in Jesus' holy name that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would renew within us a right spirit, a right mission, a right heart. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and renew within us a purposeful and focused vision that is focused on you, that is set on you, that keeps its eyes on you. Walk with us, guide us, lead us, embolden us, renew us within that we would no longer succumb to the deception of the enemy, but instead that we would be fully submitted to you and your purposes for our life. We thank you, we honor you, we lift you up, we magnify your holy name, for you are good and your love endures forever. For it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. Listen, if this message blessed you, please be sure to share with someone whom you love. Share it with a friend a colleague, anyone. And then also, listen, support us. Support this ministry so that we can be able to make more dope content and be able to spread this message of the kingdom to as many people as possible. And then, make sure that you subscribe. Sawa, subscribe. Subscribe, wherever the button, subscribe, subscribe. God bless you guys.